Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. Spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow. Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and you are listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels here on Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. And it is Tuesday, May 10th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, as many of you know, we are broadcasting from the beautiful mountains of Panama. Yes. We just had a blackout, and the power came on. Three minutes before showtime. So, it's possible. One can broadcast from the mountainous jungles. So, today's topic is physician burnout. What does it mean to you and why should you care exactly? I think this is important because by way of discussing physician burnout, it's possible to get a special view, vision, or understanding of patient burnout. Yes, patient burnout. And so to start, I want to give a definition of burnout. And as always, we're going to consult the experts. And in this case, uh, Merriam-Webster. Those of you who don't know, that's, well, the dictionary people. Definition of burnout. The condition of someone who has become physically and emotionally tired after doing a difficult job for a long time. Another uh, definition. 
exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of prolonged frustration. Yes, prolonged frustration. Now, this is an important concept, uh, prolonged frustration. One might say that frustration results from fruitless activity. So let's see what, again, Merriam-Webster has to say. Frustration, the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of inability to achieve something. Okay. So burnout then is extreme exhaustion and loss of emotional strength and motivation because of inability to achieve something. So in other words, a person has put extreme effort and resources into something over a long period of time and not gotten any results. That's the frustration. And this is what burnout is. This is the definition of burnout. Okay, so let's take a look at physician burnout and see if we can see in it a mirror or reflection of patient burnout. Yes. Okay. Now, this is from the experts, the authorities. This is Medscape, Family Medicine, uh, the pro-doctor view. And uh, they're telling us what burnout is. And they're sending this to all the inboxes and emails of doctors across the globe who are involved in the standard of care. This is something that uh, the recipients can relate to. So this is what they say. And, of course, we have our favorite ethicist on the case, Dr. Kaplan. So the literature on physician burnout is voluminous. That means there's a lot of individuals writing about physician burnout. And it is growing. But a recent Medscape video by Art Kaplan, director of the Division of Medical Ethics at New York University, that we hear from him a lot, was perhaps the first to view the problem not as one within the medical profession, but as a public health crisis. Because doctors, after all, are a finite public resource. Well, back up. Doctors are a public resource. They are the property of the public. All right, let's keep going. And as such, should be treated with respect, not abuse. We noted over 50% of doctors feel burned out. They suffer from compassion fatigue. They are unable to empathize with patients. That means that they don't care. <laughs> they say doctors don't care. They can't care about patients. They're tired of caring. Okay. You can imagine how it might feel as a patient going to see a doctor who doesn't care about you and is tired of caring. That's a tough situation. All right. They may commit more potentially harmful errors as a result. Now, again, here we have the propaganda cover-up. Patient harm is a result of doctors committing harmful errors. To Dr. Kaplan's credit, 
he does use the word may and potentially to cushion the misrepresentation. Again, this is my perspective that it is a misrepresentation. And it's my perspective, my experience, my observation, that it's actually the least compassionate doctors that are able to stick to the standard of care. Because after seeing so many patients suffer, it becomes more and more difficult to stick to the standard of care. Okay, so these doctors have problems managing their lives away from work. They retire early at a time when we desperately need more doctors. Moreover, 400 doctors took their lives last year. Now, I said to myself, well, you know, 400 doctors out of 850,000 doctors, that's a pretty small number. But guess what? It's five times the suicide rate for the general population. Five times the suicide rate. And those are the ones that are counted as suicide. There are a lot of doctor accidents um, that aren't counted as suicide. Okay. We like to think that doctors can handle everything, but that's clearly not true. In fact, uh, if you look at the stats, notice they can be suicide at five times the rate of uh, ordinary uneducated citizens who supposedly have fewer coping mechanisms, uh, one would have to conclude that they are actually a lot less capable of handling anything than your average run-of-the-mill person who doesn't have a medical degree. Okay, so one type of fix is to make sure that hospitals and other healthcare environments try to create better conditions for a happy workforce for happier doctors. This might include yoga, mindfulness training, having more therapists to talk to, encouraging people to come forward when they feel this way, peer groups and better mentoring. Time out, time out. Now, I'm an old timer. Those of you who know I'm pretty old. So I graduated from medical school way back in 1983. Back then, Doctors were not a workforce, and they were not employees. They were self-employed or uh, independent business people, basically. And so what Dr. Kaplan is presuming here is that doctors are a workforce and are employees. And so this is a, a big conflict when you say to the doctor in medical school, well, we're teaching you to develop medical judgment to make decisions. And then they're routed into a work situation where they're an employee and they simply do as they're told. In other words, standard of care, no deviation. All right. So we're seeing then uh, a little peak at what might be giving rise to this frustration. So you have these people going into a profession, call it medicine, with the intent of having some autonomy, and at the end of the line, they find that they are simply part of a workforce. In other words, uh, factory workers. And they're relegated to rote, repetitive, standard of care, cookbook activity 
and they're supposed to use yoga mindfulness training and talk to therapists instead of making decisions according to their conscience. Okay. And so he says, this is the ethicist talking, when we institute new software or when we have new bureaucratic regulations, I think somebody ought to ask what this does to the workforce. A lot of the software and computer assistance that's out there doesn't seem to help the doctor. It makes them more work or makes them frustrated. So in other words, this is what your doctor is facing. So software is being introduced into the work situation every day. And the doctor has to respond to this software. And this software is actually some pretty intrusive stuff. It literally puts the doctor under surveillance. And so the doctor is spending a large portion of his day reporting on himself, um, satisfying surveillance requirements, responding in real time to um, software surveillance or software limitations. For example, a doctor might be working with a software that says prescribe drug A, B, C, or D. Option of no drug, of course, not there. So how then is the doctor going to document that his decision was to not prescribe a drug? So this becomes, well, frustrating. Okay, it makes more work or makes the doctor frustrated. It also seems to me that if you look at what's going on with respect to regulations and administrative or bureaucratic requirements, nobody is saying, hey, is this user-friendly? What's the burden that's putting on the doctor? Okay, so as a patient then, when you go and see a physician, he is literally preoccupied with regulatory, administrative, and bureaucratic requirements. And so his, what's going through his mind is how can I satisfy these regulatory, administrative, and bureaucratic requirements in the confines of this three to five or ten minute encounter with this person. And so obviously, if you as a patient ask a question that's not listed in the regulations, administrative, or bureaucratic uh, framework, the doctor has no way of responding to that. And so Kaplan says, although the video was aimed at physicians, it was also addressing society at large. Wow. Morally, we've got to make sure that a highly trained workforce, it takes a very long time to get the ability to practice medicine, is a resource that we preserve and really take seriously. And so if we give the English translation to this, is if we're going to take 11 years minimum to create a licensed physician, then we can't squander that because it's difficult to replace. Well, obviously, Dr. Kaplan did not get the memo that they've increased the size of the freshman medical class by 25% in 2014, 25% increase in the size of the medical entering class. So they are well prepared to make doctors quite disposable by uh, educating them in larger numbers so that one doctor down is uh, 
No big deal. And this is the same attitude, of course, that's being taken towards patients. And again, for a patient attempting to interact with an individual who is mired in administrative bureaucratic requirements is very frustrating. It's unlikely that patient can achieve their personal objective since it's not what the system was designed for. So we also have to view it as part of patient safety. All right, red flag. And I think we should start spending some resources, that sounds like money, to figure out how we, and who the we is, can make the physician workplace more user-friendly. Why do we have to make the physician workplace more user-friendly? Doesn't the physician have the ability to make the workplace more user-friendly? Apparently not. In other words, your physician is working in a hostile regulatory environment, and he does not have the ability to make his workplace user-friendly for him, and as a corollary, does not have the ability to make the standard of care user-friendly for the patient. So you can see now that this doctor burnout, this prolonged frustration on the part of the doctor who is unable to accomplish anything, can lead to the same thing on the part of the patient. So in other words, the patient basically is not able to accomplish anything by interacting with the physician because the physician is paralyzed. Okay, so here we are. The video, it's a video, I haven't seen the video, but this video is circulating, inspired hundreds of doctors to offer cries of anguish and often complex multi-dimensional diagnosis of the reasons for physician burnout. Now, here's where we get to the meat of the matter. This is what doctor says. I feel burned out, and I know I'm not alone. Half my colleagues feel the same. Now, this is just, this whole attitude here is is uh, a very negative, um, fearful mentality. In other words, I'm afraid to have feelings or be aware of something unless at least half my colleagues are aware of the same thing. All right, so what's the problem? He says, well, I don't have enough time for my family and myself. For the past eight years, I haven't had any vacations. I'm so exhausted. As a primary care provider, I cannot take vacations because I always have patients to take care of. Okay. This is what the doctor thinks. So let me take you guys back 30 years in the time machine. This is so it was back in the 70s, 80s, when I was in uh, medical school and early medical practice. There were doctors who literally closed their practice for three months out of the year so they could travel with their families. Yes, that's what doctors did back in 1984. And there were doctors who literally took off two days every week, at least. And one of those days was between Monday and Friday. And so this doctor, it's a young doctor apparently, doesn't even know, is not even aware of the freedom that doctors historically have had. And so he hasn't had any vacations. Why? Because he's not his own boss. He doesn't have the authority to give himself a vacation. 
So if he doesn't have the authority to give himself a vacation, does he, do you think he's got the authority to listen to your complaint and give you choices? Probably not. All right. Burnout is a really big problem, but often one that is not detected before a major incident occurs. Another doctor pointed out, physicians are not likely to admit they are burned out. Physicians don't like to think that they need help. The doctor's autonomy is now non-existent. One doctor lamented. Let me repeat that for you. The doctor's autonomy is now non-existent. What this means is your doctor actually does not have the ability to give you choices or to assist you with achieving your goals and your objectives. The doctor can't even achieve his own. So this doctor, this white coat that's placed before the public, is actually a front with no autonomy, who has to follow orders just like people in the military do. And he has to follow these protocols, whether they work or not, whether people die or not. This is what you're encountering. When you walk into a doctor's office, you need to understand this doctor does not have any autonomy. That the outcome of your visit has already been determined by someone who's not even sitting in the room. All right, so here's more information. It's from the mouths of the doctors themselves. We are being dictated by insurance companies, hospital administrators, national medical boards, and state medical boards. I'll repeat that. Insurance companies, whose rules, of course, are going to conflict with the hospital administrator's rules, those rules are most likely going to conflict with the national medical boards, which were set up by the drug companies, and state medical boards. So we have a doctor who is being supervised, subordinated to four different authorities, each with conflicting goals. And we are being recurrently credentialed by the same entities. Let me put this in English for you. So recurrently means again and again. Credentialed means you are constantly being uh, tested, made to pay fees, and get different pieces of paper in order to continue to work. And this is happening by the same entities. So you can have a medical board then demanding doctors pay fees and take tests every two years instead of every six years, for example. So now these credentialing from all these different places, insurance companies, hospitals, national medical boards, state medical boards, means this doctor is literally paying some kind of fee or taking some kind of test several times a year. Now back in the good old days, I'll say the 90s, when I was in medical practice, uh, this so-called credentialing was anywhere from every four to ten years. And it seemed burdensome even then. Okay, all of this, this is Dr. Talking, constrains, that means it limits, our ability to perform as physicians. So put that in English. All of this limits our ability to respond to patients. We are cogs in a system 
designed for maximum profitability. This is the doctor's talking. This is not me. Hey, I only take confessions, right? So these doctors are saying we are cogs in a system designed for the maximum profitability. And it's not the profitability of the doctor. And if it's designed for maximum profitability, then obviously it's not designed for maximum safety. It's not designed for maximum patient outcome. So since it's not designed for maximum patient outcome, the patient is, of course, going to be frustrated. Any effort the patient puts into healing or getting better using this system, which is being a licensed doctor, is going to meet with frustration. He's not going to achieve his objective. Why? Because the system is designed, by the doctor's own words, cogs in a system designed for the maximum profitability and not the profitability of the doctor. And the doctor says there's no continuity of care. That means there's no continuous understanding of the patient situation. Even worse, Dr. A prescribes the first drug. Dr. B sees the side effects, does not recognize the side effects of the first drug, prescribes a second drug, and Dr. C, who's not aware of Dr. A or B, sees a new disease and prescribes a third drug. And so we have then maximum profit for pharmaceutical companies because you don't have continuity of care. So each doctor is thinking, hmm, that doctor before me probably had a good reason for prescribing this drug. I'm not going to stop it. I'll just... um, Treat this little side effect here. And so what we have then is a multiplying of the danger to the patient and a multiplying of the frustration for an individual, say a human being, trying to achieve better health through seeing a doctor. So younger doctors are perfectly happy to work nine to five, which means, again, they're happy to work nine to five and anything happens after five, someone else handles it. Now, when I was in medical practice, I was <laughs> dying breed, solo practice family physician. What does that mean? If I prescribe a drug at 10 a.m. and a patient has side effects at 1 a.m., my phone rang. It woke me up. And so since I didn't work nine to five, I actually saw the continuous effects of drugs that I prescribed. And so because I wanted to get sleep at night, I slept from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. If a patient called me after 8 p.m. and that call was due to a drug side effect, I never, ever prescribed that drug again. That's right. Why? Because I wanted to get sleep. And the only way I could get sleep was to make sure my patients got sleep. But now, because doctors are employees who work shift work, basically, they're factory workers, they don't have that continuity. They don't even have the responsibility. And so this person, this doctor says, mindfulness training, mindfulness training and yoga cannot cure these problems. There has to be mass action to get insurance companies, politicians, and government 
out of the practice of medicine. Now, buried in this statement is the actual problem. See if you can catch it. There has to be mass action to get insurance companies, politicians, and government out of the practice of medicine. Not true. There has to be individual action to get insurance companies, politicians, and government out of the practice of medicine. Anything that requires mass action will never happen. And so this person, uh, this doctor who's talking, is himself the victim of the propaganda that has enslaved him. And it's the same propaganda that enslaves many people. So obviously, an individual can say, I will not allow insurance companies, politicians, or government involved in my health. In other words, people can make the individual decision that they will pay out of pocket for any and all health care they receive, and whatever they cannot afford, they won't pay for. And, this doctor says, physicians need to take back their responsibility. And that I agree with. Not only do physicians need to take back responsibilities, but patients need to accept responsibility. And I think any one person taking such action would solve the problem, at least for that one individual. And so now another physician chimes in. I agree with Dr. Kaplan, the ethicist, and others that physicians have a problem. However, I disagree with the diagnosis and the prescribed treatment. The problem is a crisis of professional identity. It means doctors don't know what or who they are. Okay, let's go with this. Work overload, powerlessness, uh, key that powerlessness, and job insecurity. And so this, again, a patient going to a doctor saying, doctor, what's wrong with me? Doctor, will you help me? They don't realize that they are actually talking to a powerless individual, a powerless individual who is unable to act on their behalf. Because why? The doctor is acting on behalf of the insurance companies, the politicians, and the government. And so that does not leave space for the doctor to act on behalf of the patient. And this means that the patient will experience burnout, physical, emotional exhaustion, due to inability to achieve its objectives after a lot of effort. And so this, this burnout is actually being dumped on the patient. It's the patients who are burning out. And it says, we are responsible for the operational capacity of the system. The doctors are not responsible for the operational capacity of the healthcare system. The medical schools are, and they are churning out more and more operational capacity units every day. So this doctor is a bit delusional, but let's see what else he has to say. And are held accountable for all the outcomes. That's true. Doctors have no power and are held accountable for all outcomes. This is the whole thought behind malpractice but have little say in how decisions are made and the direction in which things are going. This doctor is vague, but let's be specific. So if you walk into a doctor's office, that doctor really has little say in the decisions that are made concerning your health care. They've already been made. The protocols have already been written. 
in the direction in which things are going. Again, already determined. When you walk in the door, you are put on a narrow pathway with no branches and really no exit. The only effective treatment is physician independence. Now he's talking. The employment model is bad for patients and bad for healthcare costs. Correct. Because of the employment model, the doctor can't say, I'm not going to order this MRI scan because it's useless. No, that's the standard of care. It's the next step. He has to order the MRI scan. And the patient says, I don't want the MRI scan. I can't afford it. And I don't want to go through that. So both of them have decided this is not a good idea. But the doctor is obligated to recommend it. The patient has an insurance company that compels it. And so these two people engaging in activity, which is one, hazardous, and two, not likely to contribute to the health of the patient. And so it makes no sense then for the patient, let's say individual concerned with their health, to consult a powerless individual who cannot make decisions on behalf of the patient or even provide independent information. Um, when I was in practice back in the 90s, doctors actually had gag clauses written into their insurance policies where they were prohibited from offering any choices to the patient that were not covered by the patient's insurance. Interesting. So the employment model is bad for patients and bad for healthcare costs. Exactly. It causes healthcare costs to spiral out of control because the doctor's got to pad the bill, order extra tests that aren't needed, hospitalize people who aren't needed because that's what his boss wants. Worst of all, it is destroying physicians. This is a, a, a doctor, doc, a doctor um, publication. So destroying physicians is a bad thing, but it's destroying patients. You know, 880,000 citizens, American citizens every year die as a result of health care they receive. And so while this might be destroying physicians, it's certainly destroying uh, citizens as well. So burnout is a symptom, not the problem. <laughs> we are not suffering burnout. We're suffering because of feelings of helplessness and deep dissatisfaction. And this is what patients have. Feelings of helplessness and deep dissatisfaction. Because the goals they want to achieve cannot be achieved, are not being achieved by interacting with the healthcare system. It's not healthy, and of course, nobody cares. And so you have to really question a system that has such a damaging effect, not only on the people receiving healthcare, but those giving it as well. Okay, now, here we have doctors trying to get a grip on this. The physicians are the ones who bring money into hospital organizations, the doctor observed. Okay, so this doctor is like seriously behind the times. The insurance companies bring the money. The patients actually are the source of the money, call them the, uh, the golden cow. But it's the patients who have now been compelled through laws making health insurance compulsory to give their money to the insurance companies. And physician decisions have almost nothing to do 
of how that money is spent. So what has happened now is physicians have been taken out of the money equation. Physicians no longer bring money into the hospital. Physicians are now an expense because many are employees of the hospital. And so the doctor says, yet there is no consideration of the fact that we are all human. We have all seen what happens when a doctor who is having difficulty dares to admit it or opens up to anyone who they feel might be able to help. Administrators say, come to us with any problem. They open their arms, talk about how much they value each doctor as an individual, offer warm, fuzzy encouragement, and offer reassurance that they will take all the time needed. However, behind closed doors, doctors are seen as expendable and completely replaceable, which, by the way, is true. Unfortunately, it is true. And the drive to expend and replace these doctors is accelerating as more and more doctors are being admitted to medical school and being trained at a faster and faster pace. And so this doctor says, doctors are not seen as people who need or even deserve compassion. There is little, if any, help available. Administrators often find a way to dump the doctor. And this is very real. For example, um, when I was having my uh, interactions with the licensing board, I became aware of many other doctors and their situations. Um, one doctor was uh, an employee at a hospital, and uh, she decided that she was going to make decisions that she thought were in the best interest of the patient and not follow the hospital policies, which were not necessarily consistent with the standard of care, by the way. Well, what the hospital did was they just called the licensing board and had the licensing board prosecute her. And then once they started prosecuting her, then the hospital said, oh, well, we have to let you go. It says here in your contract that if the licensing board investigates you, then we can end your contract. And so, of course, it was the hospital that made the phone call to the licensing board. And so uh, there you have it. And he says, then, without another thought, it's on to the next physician who can see 25 to 30 patients a day without any hassle. And, of course, these doctors are basically uh, being controlled by the hospital or the insurance company and don't have the uh, flexibility or independence to respond to patient requests, patient wishes, or patient concerns of any kind. And so another doctor said, this is something we've heard before, the large institutions treat us like interchangeable cogs, a doctor commented. We cannot offload any work onto the nursing staff and verbal orders. We're responsible for every quality improvement initiative and are to maintain our relative value units. And a relative value unit is basically a dollar value assigned to a unit of time or an encounter. And so the doctor is responsible to reach, hit these targets. And so here you are, a patient, you come in with a headache, and the doctor is trying to figure out how your headache is going to help him reach a financial relative value target. And so this is the mental calculation or activity going on in the brain of your doctor 
And so it causes the doctor burnout because maybe the doctor is trying to figure out a way to help you, but going through this mechanism that has been assigned to him will never result in improvement of anyone's headache. And so then it engenders a corresponding burnout in the patient who's putting extreme effort into getting up, getting dressed, driving to a doctor's office or hospital um, office to seek help for this headache. The patient is going to be frustrated. Every nuance, every visit, positive or negative, needs to be recorded. And so this means you, the patient, and the doctor are under intense surveillance. Or we're assumed to be cheating. And every nurse practitioner thinks they can do our job with 18 months of training. Actually, they can. Because your job is to maximize profits for the hospital or insurance company using their protocol. Actually, a fifth grader could do the job. Unfortunately, they might not be able to do a job of helping patients, but that's not the job. Okay, so... The new electronic health records are hospital-centric and cumbersome, leaving doctors less face time to placate, that means pacify or patronize, an already demanding patient population. Add this to our worry about press gainy patient survey scores while decreasing our prescribing habits. So in other words, you have the hospital saying, follow these policies that are going to enrage any reasonable patient, and then we want you to do it in such a way that patients on their surveys rate you positively. That we were mistreated, abused, and we liked it. That's what they want the doctor to do. Okay. Include a legal system that cannot seem to spit out enough attorneys with television ads ready to sue us for using medications that are indicated, in other words, for following the standard of care. Lastly, throw in our governing bodies, American Medical Association, etc., that have sold out to big government and allowed health care reform without physician input. This is important. So we have health care reform without physician input and without patient input. This is, this is an important concept. So you have the decisions being made and structured by neither the patient nor the physician. And so, of course, this doctor says, what's to be burned out about? And so, again, if you're a human being and you're sick and you're trying to get better, do you really want to enter a system that has no input from the doctor or the physician? I mean, or the patient? So you have this interaction that's irrelevant. You walk into a room, boom, the rest has been determined. Okay, so this guy is saying, the problem in large part is that physicians remain poorly organized and do not adequately voice their own needs as well as the true needs of their patients, a plastic surgeon wrote. Okay, this, unfortunately, uh, is just the opposite. The problem is the physicians are organized. They're organized through a puppet organization called the American Medical Association that pretends to represent them, but doesn't really. 
Our professional organizations are typically more interested in their own economic viability. In other words, they take money from hospitals and insurance companies and the government, which they maintain with endeavors like the sale of coding books, organization of meetings, rather than standing united against the threats presented by large interest groups. So this doctor is not aware that the AMA was not made by doctors, but by drug companies originally. And so this guy is really upset. He says, yoga, counseling, user-friendly software, really? (laughs) A general practitioner scoffed. How about relieving us from seeing too many patients at a time, which prevents us from being able to work with them in depth in order to really help them? How about relieving us from being controlled by insurance companies and hostile bureaucracies? How about giving us reduced work hours and reduced patient volume that would enable quality work and work-life balance? Is there even time for yoga and counseling? Therein lies the real problem. Let's back up and take a look at this. So this doctor is admitting and revealing is that doctors are controlled by insurance companies and hospital bureaucracies, period. And the doctors don't control their hours. They don't control the patient volume. And they're not able to put in the time to really help patients. And so we have Kaplan stepping back in. He says, well said, but is anyone listening? A doctor wanted to know. We need to dump electronic health records, which, by the way, have been proven to actually harm patient outcomes because there's too much emphasis on the record. And go back to pen and paper and how much easier it was before the electronic health record. Patients were happier. Doctors were happier. Guess what? No one got care any different from today. All electronic health records have done is make life easier for Medicare, insurance auditors, see that care is provided and find ways to pay us less. A disservice and an embarrassment. I love taking care of patients and actually doing my job, but I'm tired of being a glorified secretary. we got to get this, glorified secretary. So as I said, what doctors now do, being a glorified secretary, is something that really can be taught in 18 months or less. We must take back health care for our patients and our profession. And so, (laughs) okay, let's all, every single doctor in the United States, take off the month of May. An otorhinolaryngologist said, uh, it's reasonable to note this is one of the higher paid specialists. Take a spa holiday in whatever relaxing holiday resort setting you and your family would like, excuse me, can afford. After a month of vacation, we could return to practice tanned, fit, rested, and ready again. And America in that month would have regained a sense of the true value of their doctors. And so what the other laryngologist is not aware of is every time doctors have gone on strike, the death rate has taken a plunge. And such a holiday, first of all, many doctors now with their educational loans, with their pay scales, can't afford to take off a month uh, at a relaxing holiday resort of any kind. And um, such a hiatus or gap in work would simply reveal uh, the obvious, which is 
that doctors are actually doing a tremendous amount of harm. So what is the answer? The answer is to realize that your doctor is burned out and that your doctor is actually burning you out. And the uh, solution is actually what many of these doctors have said, which is to not allow hospitals, insurance companies, drug companies, or government regulation to be a part of your health care. And to basically uh, a do-it-yourself uh, posture towards this. Now, a lot of people don't feel very confident about that. I get it. And so that's why I have a do-it-yourself healers in Panama course to teach people to become independent of this very dangerous medical industrial complex. And each home should have one healer, one person who everyone goes to at the first sign of any medical difficulties. And that type of system has been shown in many countries to actually save lives, far more lives than any emergency um, system or ambulance or any of those things. So let's see. So that's some, so, so go to my website, vitalitycapsules.com forward slash remedies and get your free report, Remedies So Powerful They Could Make Antibiotics Obsolete. At least that will get you a start and help you escape the kill pill. And then, of course, watch your mailbox for notices about my next Healing in Panama course, which will be towards the end of June. So we'll be getting out information about that. All right, time for questions. And boy, there are lots of questions. So let's see here. Dr. Daniels. Okay, Dr. Daniels, I've heard you say that cayenne, ginger, garlic, and so on are great for thinning the blood. I've also heard other places that the only thing that will actually dissolve blood clots are enzymes. Not true. Not true. Depends on what you call an enzyme. But cayenne pepper definitely uh, dissolves blood clots. Apple cider vinegar definitely dissolves uh, blood clots. Now, apple cider vinegar does contain enzymes. So there are many sources of enzymes. Okay. What about hydrogen peroxide, among other things? I'm not a hydrogen peroxide fan, uh, not for uh, something like blood clots. Because the way uh, blood coagulation works is the blood it has a pH range in which it's liquid and a pH range in which it will clot. And if you uh, put alkaline into the blood suddenly, then you can actually cause clotting. So the problem is you really don't know where the pH is when you're intervening in a particular situation. So um, the biggest way to develop clots is with water. It's actually with water. And this is something that is because how expensive is water, right? So if you see somebody and you think they're having a stroke, you can see their hand curling up, you see their face drooping, 
just as you see it right there in front of you, if you can hand them a glass of water and they can take four gulps, literally that will reverse the process. So there's a lot of lies going on around out there. And one easy way to know that they're lies, of course, is, well, it doesn't work, does it? Okay. Okay, another question. How are there ways to self-diagnose conditions like anemia? Anemia is very simple. You just take your lower lip, pull it out, and look at it. If it's pale pink, then chances are you're anemic, and especially if you've been losing some blood. So um, what you need to do is just be aware of what your body looks like. For example, your fingernails, your nail beds, whether no matter what your skin color are, is, your nail beds are pink. And when you're anemic, they become a paler color. So the change in your nail beds, the change in um, the color of your inner lower lip, those are areas you can look at. You can see that the color actually changes and becomes more pale. So there's your anemia diagnosis. Low vitamin D levels, you can just infer that. In other words, if you live um, in the United States, let's say north of Carolina, north of South Carolina, and you, or no matter where you live, if you spend most of your time indoors, you've got a vitamin D problem. For example, I live in uh, the tropics, right? And so a lot of people now have indoor jobs where they literally spend even 10 minutes outside. And those people, even though they live in the tropics, are going to have low vitamin D levels. So vitamin D levels, you can just uh, deduce that from your diet. I mean, not from your diet, but from your, your basic activity. So if, if you're not outside at least an hour of the day, and most people are not, then you're probably deficient in vitamin D. Dr. Daniels, are there any way to permanently cure allergies? That's a trick question. Question is, let's just say you have an allergy, bee sting allergy, you name the allergy. Can you get rid of it? answer is yes. Will it come back? The answer is it could. But in order for it to come back, you would have to um, go through a lot of trouble. So how do you get rid of it? Clean up your diet. You, you have to not have any foreign, um, I guess instead of the word foreign, I'll use the word man-made. Remove all man-made chemicals and materials from your diet. Remove all of them. Then you take Vitality Capsules. Go to vitalitycapsules.com. Get your Vitality Capsules. That clears out the bile area. Then you need to take some milk thistle, drink plenty of water, and that usually does it. And what this does, the, the, the cause of allergies is an overload of foreign proteins. And so if you get rid of these by disposing of them in the bile, mobilizing the bile with the vitality capsules, by protecting your liver cells with milk thistle so it will suck up the proteins in the blood, and not adding additional artificial chemicals, then your body will actually clear itself and clear up these allergies. Okay. (laughs) Dr. Daniels, is the medical profession relying on new medical graduates all the time to inject 
young, energetic blood like every other field that functions on burnout and turnover? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the problem with the medical profession is once you get out there, once you start seeing what happens to people when you do what you were taught in medical school, even if you're not very bright, usually after about mm, three or four years, maybe five, you feel like, oh, wait a minute, this is not working. This is not what I was told. Oh, no. And so that's the point at which the doctor or nurse or nurse practitioner needs to be disposed of. And so you need this high influx of trained individuals so that once someone figures out that they've been uh, deceived or lied to, then the system can quickly dispose of them. Now, the other problem of this, of course, is that doctor income is just going to plummet. And who can afford to borrow um, half a million dollars? I just I was talking to a friend uh, from the States, uh, and he said he knew a young doctor who was half a million dollars in debt. And that's half a million dollars compounding continuously at any interest rate is a bit of a burden. And so you need the ability to replace these people as they see the light. Okay. If someone has daily nausea that seems to be related to acid reflux, could this be caused by them being overweight? <laughs> All right. I'm not stepping into this one. No, you may not beat up on your relative for being overweight. Let me put it to you this way. A lot of people who are overweight do not have acid reflux. Okay. So the next question to ask is how can you relieve acid reflux if this person refuses to lose weight? More compassionate question. And the answer to that is you can relieve their relative constipation. Many people who are quite a bit overweight and have reflux are having bowel movements every other day or once a day or once a week. And if they can have bowel movements more often, that relieves the pressure in their stomach, allows the acid to flow forward and out into the toilet instead of backwards and up into their esophagus. Now, you also have to, you know, be honest here. If they're taking drugs that cause reflux, that's a problem. So they've got to stop the drugs that cause reflux, increase their bowel movement. And then um, they can take uh, like apple cider vinegar or dilute apple cider vinegar to get rid of the reflux. Let me take a peek over here. Uh, here we are. Let's see if we have any. Oh, we have a couple questions here. Okay, you're on the air. Your question, please. Okay. And another one. Hi, you're on the air. Your question? Hi, um, what are the best supplements for um, teenagers to be taking to keep their immune systems up, to keep them away, you know, from flu and viruses and anything else that comes along? I think a teenager, the simplest thing for a teenager would just be vitamin C, like a teaspoon depending on their weight, um, actually in their constitution, but start with a half a teaspoon a day in some water and build up till they get um, diarrhea, then back off. And just give them that dose daily. That's what I would do for teenagers. Can they, um, can they take like also? Super, super, super simple. 
Okay, and can they can they take vitality capsules to keep their bowels moving or not? Yes, they can. Teenagers, no problem. Okay, thank you, Dr. Daniels. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, and that is it for today. As always, think happens, and we'll see you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.